Good morning. Um, I'm Mark Stevenson, and um, we're usually sitting kind of up in front. I love to be close to the action where things are going on. So if I was at a football game, if I was at a concert, I would always want to be up front and near what was going on. So, how are you today? Okay, three people are good. That's great. Well, at least we have three good people. Do you know each other very well? If you look around and the person on your right side or your left side, do you know each other very well? Okay, James does. James knows a lot of people well. Um, it's, we're kind of a typical international church in the sense that we have people coming from everywhere. Um, we have, even today when we were doing the scriptural reading, when I was listening, I thought, man, that guy's Chinese is really good. It's really, really good. And it should be. He's Chinese. But I thought, we have such a variety of people, um, probably more than your church back home, if you have a church back home. Um, Where I come from, I'm from Minnesota in the United States, and most of my church is pretty much blue-collar, kind of the same, from the same um, vicinity, from the same background and whatnot. And... I don't know who's here who's got a similar background to mine. As you look around, we have people of all colors, different languages, accents, and people from all kinds of different backgrounds. I always think, it, I always think it's interesting when you shake hands with somebody, you never know what you're going to find. Not that it's bad, but when I ask people, you know, what do you do here in Beijing? Um, it always amazes me the answers that I'll get in the different backgrounds that people have. Um, I've often thought that if we took a theological survey of the church, we might be really surprised at what we'd find out. We'd probably have very different ideas on baptism, on speaking in tongues, on prophecy, and all of those kinds of things. And yet, here we are together, and a church of different people um, from different places, um, different smiles, and... Um, most of what we do up here, you probably agree with. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. There's other options of places that you can go to. But maybe if we got down a little bit deeper, you might find things that you don't agree with. People that, who are in front of you, who are around you, that maybe you think, well, I don't know if I really believe that, or I don't like the way that they sing, or I don't even like this guy with the white hair who's teaching right now. I'm kind of tired of him. But what does that mean? You know, we, we live in an age where variety is celebrated, where diversity is good, and everyone thinks it's really great. But in America, when they think of diversity and tolerance, what it really means is you do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. A very postmodernistic idea of don't bother me, and I won't bother you. So what tolerance and diversity usually means is we don't get very deep. Hey, you want to be that way? That's fine. I don't... Hey, that's okay. Um, my son, who was here during the Christmas vacation, is at a very secular university in the United States, and he said, Dad, people don't care if you're a Christian because it's not the, they're not so adverse to it anymore because everything's okay, everything's all right, everyone just gets along. But it's never very deep. It doesn't go very far. People can get along as long as they don't really get to know each other very well. But is that what the Bible tells us? Today I want to look at chapter 12. Um, In the book of Romans, Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Now, the part about um, hating evil and clinging to what is good, that's for another talk. But I want to focus on the love must be sincere, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. Sometimes when you look at Paul's letters, um, he adds a lot of these little one-liners in there. And it can kind of feel like maybe you had a, when you, if you were in high school and you played basketball and you had a coach... And you ask the coach, well, what do we do to win? And he says, uh, just go out there and have a good game. You know, just play well. And sometimes scripture like this can feel that way, that he just, he couldn't think of anything else, so he just added this little, hey, uh, let love be sincere. Um, be devoted to one another. Honor each other. You know, have a nice day. Those kinds of things. But actually, this is in chapter 12. If you go before that, actually the situation that was in Rome at that time was anything but a simple situation, anything but people just kind of getting along. And so I want to give you a backdrop to that, um, because these are very simple phrases, and the people, but to the people these words were written to, they packed a powerful message. And without knowing the backdrop, backdrop you, might, you might miss that message. In the early church, there were several groups that heard the good news, and they accepted it, and they worshiped together. But it wasn't always really easy. So if you look at this church in Rome, it was a little bit different. Scholars estimate that Paul's letter to the church in Rome was written around 57 AD. I almost said 1957, but okay. Now, this is an estimation, but it's a pretty good one. A lot of scholars, a lot of historians would agree on that. Um, And as you read Romans, when you think about it, all of us probably know different scriptures that we pull out of Romans. But when you read a book in the Bible, remember that it was written as a whole. It wasn't written with little bits and pieces. And so chapter 12, before that, as you read it, you begin to realize Paul's writing to a couple of groups of people. Now, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, it's the church in Corinth. When he wrote to the Thessalonians, it's those people. But you get the feeling when you read through Romans that he has a couple different groups in mind, two distinct groups. And who were they? There were two groups, Jews who, be, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and so they were Jewish believers. Um, the other group were the Gentiles, who grew up worshiping idols and probably made a very radical change to follow Jesus. Now, these two groups, they had some things in common. They believed who Jesus was. They trusted him with their salvation, and they believed he was who he said he was. Secondly, they were able to speak Greek. That was the common language that brought them together. Third, they belong to the same church, the church in Rome that Paul writes this letter to. Apart from that, they had many differences. These differences start from how they became Christians, how they got to know Jesus, and how they lived it out, not maybe in a context like this, but in their daily lives. Because the Jewish believers followed the law and believed Jesus to be the Messiah, they didn't just stop being Jewish and throw away their lifestyle. Instead, in the early church, they were trying to decide what it meant to know and follow Jesus because he, the Savior, fit into their theology. This was the promised Messiah. He was foretold, and he came. Um, Jesus even said that he came to fulfill the law in Matthew five seventeen. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So for the Jews, this is wonderful. This is, wow, this is, this is great. This is what they'd been waiting for for generations and generations. And it finally happened. 
Now, think about that. You probably have some hopes that you hope would happen. You hope your kids get married to good people. You hope that they have good jobs, make a lot of money, whatever else. Uh, maybe you hope they get out of bed tomorrow morning for school. But these, to see those things fulfilled, everyone knows what that's like. When you get the promotion that you've been waiting for, where you get someone in your office that you've really hoped would be in there to really support your team. When you, your son or your daughter marries that person that you've been praying that they would marry. You know what it's like to have things fulfilled. And so for the Jewish believers, this was the fulfillment. This is what they had been waiting for. It was their promise, their Messiah, their God. Okay, but wait a second. For the Gentiles, it wasn't like that. Okay? They grew up outside of the Jewish faith. Maybe they were interested. Maybe they were curious. Maybe wanting to believe. Maybe they were even what the Bible would call God-fearers. But... They were not Jewish. Either way, they probably grew up in very different circumstances. And again, what I said is that they, most of the Gentiles at that time had a whole galaxy of idols, of gods, Greek gods, whatever, that they would worship. So for them, following Jesus wasn't fitting into a pattern of life. This is just another god. This is just another idol. This was a radical throw everything out. Get rid of what you've known. Anything that was there before, it's gone. Were the Jews, it fit right in. This made perfect sense. So, the result is that you had this church in Rome with very different views towards lifestyle and beliefs. Now, listen carefully. They all loved Jesus as best they could. It wasn't that some did and some didn't. And throughout the letter, Paul addresses both of them in different ways. Um, and in, in Rome, in Romans, he gives one of the clearest and most beautiful descriptions of the full gospel in all the Bible. In Romans 10.4, Paul wrote, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone. So Jesus died for all of these people, but the way that they approached Jesus was very different. We might find if we, again, if we did a survey in this church, you have different ways of coming to Jesus, different ideas, different ways of following Jesus. I heard a, a message recently um, where the speaker said, coming to Jesus is a little bit like drinking beer or uh, some alcohol or coffee. A lot of people, the first time they drink beer or the first time they drink coffee, it doesn't taste good. But what they're after are the uh, side effects that come from it. Whether you're trying to stay awake and finish that paper you drink the coffee, whether you like it or not, or whether you're with friends or whatever and you're drinking, um, you want something else. So a lot of people come not specifically to Jesus because they know him so well and they love him, but because of the things that he offers. And so we, we probably have a whole variety of different ways that people look at Jesus in this. Getting back to Paul, in chapter 3, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now what does he mean? He takes these two groups, at least two groups are at, were in this church, and he puts them all on a level ground. We're all the same. We've all fallen short. We're all indebted to God. Um, the Jews felt that the Gentiles needed to go all the way in their accepting of faith. This meant that the Jews really believed that the Gentile men needed to be circumcised. They needed to uphold the law. After all, what they understood was that Jesus said he came to uphold the law, like I said, and these were the people that God gave the law to. 
stop and think about that. If you were Jewish at that time, you would say, this is our Messiah. We have the promises. We have the way. Follow and do what we're doing. Because of this, naturally, the Jews felt very superior to the Gentiles. The Jews depended on works, circumcision, and the law. The Gentiles, like I said, depended on idol worship, among other things. Um, they, They both thought they were right. Now, one side note to this. Some scholars recently believe that the situation in the Roman church was this. In 49 AD, 1949, in 49 AD, all of the Jews were expelled from Rome, kicked out, which meant that the Gentiles were left to basically run the church and be the church. And if you stop and think about this, a lot of the churches actually at that time, they began in synagogues. And so the Jewish believers would still meet in the synagogue and would be worshiping Jesus. But now, all the Jews are kicked out of Rome. So what does that mean? Scholars, again, they guess that probably the Gentiles decided, why are we in the synagogue? There's no real reason for us to be in there. And so then they began moving to homes and started home fellowships and where whole households would come to Jesus and whole communities would start in someone's home. So they left the synagogue and then moved into homes. After the Jews were kicked out of Rome, several years later they came back. So can you imagine coming back and going to the synagogue and they say, well, the church isn't there anymore. They've moved into a home. So suddenly you have people who used to be leaders, used to be members of the church, but have been gone for four, five, six, seven years. They come back and the church is totally different. Totally different. And maybe for you, if you go away for a year, you come back and you say, wow, where's Tom and Iris? Where's Ralph? Where's the other guy who used to sit over there? Or where's that lady that was so nice with the children? Because it changed. And, and in this situation in Beijing, we have changes all the time. All the time. So the result was when these Jews did come back, they probably didn't get along very well. Now, what I just said, even if that's not entirely true in the situation with the church leadership and Jews coming back to the church, it did create tension. And you, when you read Romans... You can, you can see that tension. So, he's got two, Paul has two distinct groups in this church. And Paul, at this time of the writing, had never visited the church. Okay, so it wasn't a church that he start, started. Some scholars believe that this church may have started actually from Acts chapter 2. And where the Holy Spirit visited. But it's a church that he's read about, he's heard about, he's met people who come from there, but he's never actually visited them. So what he knows is that there's two groups And these groups are not getting along. They're not working out. So, what is his solution? Does he say, okay, listen, you guys come from very different backgrounds. Um, Even though you're trying to follow Jesus, you you just have a lot of differences. And might be better just to have one church that's Jewish believers, another church that's Gentile believers. No, he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't tell them that at all. Instead, he tells them to stay together and work it out. Not just on the surface, not just superficially. And don't just be, quote-unquote, tolerant of each other. Don't just put up with each other. Instead, he tells them to deeply, sincerely, and genuinely love each other. Stop judging and comparing. Instead, compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And so when he says, let your love be sincere, these are not just empty words, but there's a deep meaning and a deep um, history behind it. 
Now, it's easy to be insincere when you think about loving someone else. We live in a world where people constantly love so that they can get something. You know, oh, it's nice to meet you. Now you can help me with this. Oh, it's really nice to meet you, John. Oh, he's at a school. Maybe he can help get my child into that school. Or his English is really good. Or whatever. There's you, All of us throughout our days, we run into a myriad of people who want something from us. And you couldn't really say that it's sincere love. It's just a buy, a give, and a take. The problem is that because we live in the world, and that's the standard for the world, we bring that into the church as well. And that's how we think about people. I'm, I'm an English teacher, and I have to laugh because my students are always really, really nice to me, very kind to me, right before the final exam. And they will, oh, Mr. Stevenson, you're the best teacher I ever had in all of my life and probably ever, forever and ever and ever and ever. And then when the test is over, then I never see them again. Or, or if I see them, the, you know, normally before the test, if they saw me, oh, hi, hi, like that. But after the test, they see me and kind of go the other way. And I kind of have learned to expect it. It's, it's interesting to see. But again, that's all they know. So how can I expect them to be more than that? Because they don't know what love is really about. That's what they've grown up in. That's the only kind of love that they know. Buying and selling, giving and taking. It's not really sincere. So what does it mean to have sincere love for each other? It means deeper than that. It means giving up. Paul also says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Now let me ask you, um, being devoted, that Greek word in there is like a family-like. Let me ask this question. Um, How many of you are still in contact with people who used to be in the church but have moved on to somewhere else? Do you understand what I mean? How many of you are still keeping up with some people who used to come here on Sunday mornings but now they're in another country or posted somewhere else? Okay, well, good, That's, that's quite a few. If you didn't have a family atmosphere, then you wouldn't be able to do that. They would just be people who came and go, and we said hi, and we said goodbye, and that was about it. But in a family, it's different. Um, Last week, my wife and I, we were in a conference, and we met an Indian couple from India, and they told us in their culture to honor someone means that you listen to what they're saying, and then once they're done, you shake your head and everything, but once they're gone, then you do what you want. And I thought, wow, if that was how you grew up, if that's what honoring meant, think about that when you go to church and they say, honor God. It would be very easy then to do and say the right things, do what you're supposed to do, but then when you're out of church, then kind of do whatever you want. But honoring is is not that way. Um, I think a lot of times, I, I come from a culture where America is so flat in society that we don't honestly know how to honor other people. We have a saying in America when people talk about Obama or they talk about other leaders. Um, in my hometown, people will say, well, he puts his pants on the same way I do. And basically what it means is, what's so special about him? We're all the same. And so you think about people coming from that culture and thinking about honoring one another, and most people in my church would, sure, why not? I'll honor you, you honor me too. Everything is equal. Everything is equality. But I thought love and honor is not fair. How many of you know that? Love is not fair. 
Sometimes my kids will say to me, well, that's not fair. That, and you're right, the world's not fair. But I thought, love isn't fair either. If love is fair, then you've given to me, and I should give back to you. And now I gave... Then it's this kind of exchange. But if you really love sincerely, it's not always fair. I'm not, I'm not talking about abusive relationships. That's not what I mean. But I'm talking about giving something of yourself, whether it's time, resources, or whatever, and not expecting, not putting a tag on that person. Well, John, I invited you out to dinner, so I think the next time you have to invite me out, or something like that. That's not sincere love. That's a commodity that you're exchanging for something that you want. So, what does it look like? Um, unity, um, oh, excuse me, um, there's, there's a, I was thinking about this, and I thought, um, you know, when you come to church, this church sometimes can feel like a subway stop, where you have people coming and going all the time. Um, I think if I asked you how many of you were all here last week, you know, we'd have a lot of people who weren't. And next week, if I ask how many of you were here the week before, um, a lot of people will be new. And that's just the nature of it. Last semester, I took the subway to school, and took it at the same time, and I began to notice, oh, there's that couple. They're always together. They look like they just got married. They were always really close and would come and sit down and wherever they could find a seat, if they could. And I thought, well, there's that old lady. She's always there. And, and after a while, my world became familiar in that a lot of the faces I recognized. I tried to start a couple conversations, and they didn't go very far. But we would kind of acknowledge each other, you know, hey, Lila, you know, this kind of thing or whatever. But we wouldn't come out. I didn't come out and go, hi, I really have a problem. Can you talk to me, you know, or something like that. I think then they really would have been, you know, or something. They really would have been afraid. But I thought sometimes it can be like that here where it's, hey, good morning. Hi, how you doing? It's nice to meet you. Oh, okay. And it becomes a subway stop. Or it becomes a subway ride where we really don't get to know each other very well because we've kind of got our own little world and, and, well, this is enough. But how can we be devoted to one another? How can we honor one another? I don't know. You can sit there. I'll, I'll give you the seat. Maybe that's a way of doing it. But is that just it? Um, maybe some of you, when you get here, you're tired. And you think, all week long, I've talked to people. Or all week long, I've taught children or all week long I've done this I just want to come here listen to some nice music um, or my wife wants me to come or my husband wants me to come or my mom wants me to come or somebody else but I just want to rest please don't ask me any deep questions I just want to break I just want to be by myself I can understand I know sometimes when I come here I don't know about you but sometimes Sunday morning is the worst time for us because we have a dog that needs to go out and we need to get this ready, and we need to get that. And we're often late when we get here. I'm, I'm sure that never happens to anybody else, but for us, it often gets to be not the most relaxing morning. And sometimes by Sunday morning, you think, I would just like to sit back and relax and, and just enjoy and that. But if you have that kind of mentality, you're not going to get to know each other very well, and you might be missing out on what God has for you as well. Let me tell you a story. In the early 80s, um, I left the United States and came to Hong Kong. And I was in Hong Kong for a number of years. That's where my wife and I met. But before I met her, when I first came, I thought, I really need to work hard when I'm here. I lived in a community with about 200-some other people. 
And we did a lot of ministry, a lot of different things. And people would relax on Friday nights and Saturday nights, but I never would. I would write newsletters back to people at home. And this, like, write. When I say write, I really mean write. You know, not, not typing at all. So this is a long, 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 long time ago. And I, I, would, I thought, I need to study. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I always thought, how could these people relax? I don't care if it's Friday night. I don't care if it's Saturday night. Come on, there's lots of things to be done. There's people that need to get saved and people that need to get fed. And you, what are you doing sitting around? And so on Saturday night, because we all lived in a community, there was like one TV in the whole place, I think. And so a lot of people would sit in this living room and watch TV. And I always thought the TVs were stupid TV shows and just mindless and what a waste of time. And they weren't morally bad, but artistically they were, well, it was American television. So that gives you an idea. And so I would never sit down with these people. I would always be in the library writing more letters and doing this and doing that. And, and one time I was up there and I could hear everyone laughing at the TV show, whatever they were watching. And, and this was typical. Saturday night for me was usually, and Friday night, usually meant getting work done. And so I felt like suddenly God said to me, go downstairs into the room where everyone's watching TV. And I thought, okay, I heard wrong on that. But he was really clear. He said, go downstairs into that. And I thought, for what? There was no answer. So I, I remember I went downstairs and I kind of looked and, and people were watching the TV and there was probably maybe 40 people in this room. And I thought, I don't know, where do I sit? So there was an open space and I sat down and I just kind of looked like this. I said, hi, hi. And I didn't really know what to do. And, and then there was some TV show that was on that I thought was absolutely dumb and stupid and mindless and oh my. But I knew I was supposed to be here. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be here. Well, then I started talking to the guy next to me, and I said, hi, I'm Mark. And he said, hi, I'm Howard. I said, oh, Howard, where are you from? California. Oh, okay, good. We started talking about 8.30, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, we finally finished. And we had this deep conversation, and I thought, wow, this guy is a great guy. Well, that guy was so great, he was the best man in our wedding. And even till this day, that was 1984 or 84, and to this day, he's still a really good friend. What a surprise. On my own, I never would have started talking to this guy, and on my, he was an accountant in this, and we have very different lifestyles, very different ways of thinking. He's a Chinese-American, wonderful guy, good, good friend, um, but on my own, I never would have gone after him. On my own, I never would have gotten to be his friend. So I want to encourage you, when you come to church, Ask God what he has for you and what he has from you that he wants to give to other people. Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, how do we do that in a very practical way? There's three things that I want to leave you with that I think can be helpful in trying to achieve this. Now, you're not going to get to know every single person at a very intimate and close level in church. If you do, you're probably crazy. But there are people that I believe God has for you that he wants you to get to know that you don't know yet. Or maybe you only know just on a shallow level. Maybe deep inside of you, you're thinking, I would love to know more people in this church. I wish more people would ask me questions. I wish more people would talk to me. It starts with you. The first thing is to listen. 
Now, that may sound kind of strange. I know you're listening to me right now, but in our organization, um, we talk about three levels of listening. The first level is kind of what we call a self-centered level of listening, where you talk to someone, and as soon as you mention something that they can relate to, then all of a sudden the topic turns to them. Do you know what I mean? If you say, oh, last week I tried to buy some plane tickets, and I was on this website, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Hey, you know, I remember when that happened to me, and suddenly it shifts from you telling your story to them telling their story. Some of you are going like this, so you know what I mean. Um, and that, that, kind of, that kind of listening, this level, is when they talk to someone, they're thinking, what does this mean to me? So if I'm talking to Rick, if I'm listening at number one level, whatever he says, my thinking is, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? That's the first level. The second level is listening to understand what is being said. You're thinking about the other person, and you're not constantly talking about yourself. You ask yourself... What does it mean to them? So again, if it's Rick and I, if he's telling a story, I'm, I'm thinking, what does that tell me about Rick? What does that tell me about what he's like? I'm not thinking, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Um, oh yeah, and thinking about myself. That's the second level. The third level then is listening so you can understand the person and possibly help if needed. Love that is sincere is listening at the third level. Um, in our organization, we call it intuitive listening, using the speaker's own words when you comment. So if he says, I was very perplexed and confused about something, I don't say, what were you mad about? I, instead, I say, well, what, what do you mean when you say perplexed? What do you mean when you say confused? What does that look like to you? So my focus is on him. My focus is understanding him and then also asking God, what do you want me to do in this situation? If anything, maybe there's nothing. So those three levels um, can actually help you when you're talking to people. Now, it can help you in church, but it can help you in your office. It can help you in your marriage. It can help you with your colleagues. You move away from listening, what is in this for me, to, wow, what is happening with this person, to number three, the third level of what is going on behind the scenes? What is going on with this person? That's something very practical. Caring about the other person. Listening to really understand the other person. So just listen and ask questions. Not just going to the people that you know, that you're familiar with, but try going to some people that you don't know very well. The Greek adjective, when the work is translated, as I said earlier, is about family affection. Um, Paul was telling them not just to get along and don't talk about deep things, but instead he told them to be devoted, deep, and good friends. Be that to other people. And see if God wants to lead you to be that to people here in the church. What does it mean? Um, So that's number one. Number two, pray. Now you say, well, of course I pray. But we all have different levels of prayer. I know some people in here pray for hours every day. Other people probably pray for a couple hours every year. And we have a whole variety of where people pray, how much they pray or whatever. But this is a good way to love and honor each other. Here's a suggestion. Pick two people that you don't know very well in the church. Um, it's actually, it's better if you don't know them. And start praying for them. Now, I'm not saying you go home after church and you pray for three hours. I mean, you can do that if you want. I'll put my name on your list if you want to do that. But just maybe you pray every day on the way to your car. 
or on the way to the bus or on the way to the subway. For a couple minutes, you pray for these people. And you don't even have to know their name. But just look around. Maybe when church is done, pick out two people and just start praying for them. Maybe once a week, maybe a couple times a week, maybe once a day. And you could say, well, it's the the guy with the two kids in that middle over there. Or it's the lady who's always in the back, um, you know, or whatever. Probably when you start doing this, it doesn't have to be a long prayer, but a short prayer. You will find after two or three weeks, something in your heart will change. And even if you don't know these people, you'll start to get a burden for them. You'll start to care about them. And if they come every week... When after a month of you praying for them, maybe you don't see them one week, you're going to wonder, where are they? What's going on? You don't have to know all the details in your life. God knows their names. God knows their situation. Just pray for them. So pray for each other, and you will begin to see things change. You will see God do changes, and he'll do changes in you as well. Now, the third one is to eat. Eat a meal. <laughs> Josh is in the back. Um, and, and we live in a culture that is wonderfully, wonderfully hospitable. Chinese culture is wonderful this way, and they have some of the best food in the world. And so when you meet Chinese friends, you may go out to eat jiaozi, or you may go out to eat Beijing kaoya. But they're very, very good at it, really good at it. And we can learn from them in the way that they are hospitable. Now, I'm not saying that you need to invite every single person out to a meal and go to some really, really expensive restaurant. But... Plan to spend some time with some people in a meal. And a meal is a really good way to get to know people. Hopefully, as you do this, you'll know the people you worship with every week and better understand what God's up to. Pastor Larry McCall, who's a pastor in the States, he says, God deliberately saves people of diverse backgrounds so that he can put his own glorious power and wisdom on display. He wants everyone to be impressed by how he can form one new man, one new people, out of people of diverse backgrounds. And we have a lot of diversity here. We have a a lot of different things. God wants to glorify himself in us, in our midst, as a group. A friend of mine recently wrote in a blog, what makes sense for me in the abstract or in isolation may not be the best for me and for others in community. Let me say that again. He said, what makes sense for me in the abstract or in isolation may not be the best for me or others in community. What am I saying? And what is he saying? If you're alone with God, if you're with your family, with your friends, you may have a certain way of doing things that makes sense to you. You may think, I love this kind of worship, or I love doing communion this way, or I like it when this happens or that happens or this... But in community, that might not be best. It might not be best for you in a community, and it might not be best for everyone else. When I read this, I really thought about it. The worship style I like, the prayer style I like, the music volume level that I like, the preaching style. It it might work for me, again, if I'm in the car, if I'm on the bus with headphones, if I'm alone in my room, or if I'm with my good friends who love to worship the same way I do. But as a community, I need to come to Capital Community Church every Sunday with open arms, saying, God, what do you want to do here? Not just for me, not just for my benefit. What do you want to do with these people, with this group, with this body? 
Who do you want me to touch? Who are you speaking to to touch me? On her last Sunday with us, I walked back there and I, um, I, I was going to say goodbye to Melinda. Um, and Melinda, if you don't know who that was, she was this lazy, just sat around all day worker who helped with slides every once in a while. No, obviously she was, she was the opposite. This lady was like, I don't know, high caliber, hyper, wonderful worker who served the church ceaselessly. She just did so much. She was always running around and doing things. And um, I always knew with Melinda in charge, things would go smooth. And I think a lot of people probably felt that way. But I remember I was walking back there and Melinda was back there and I heard somebody say to Melinda, all the good people are leaving. (laughs) And I thought, wow, I'm still here, you know. <laughs> but I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything, but I thought, what I thought, I mean, it kind of hit me a little bit. And, and they didn't, you know, I wasn't like this listening. I just happened to walk by and I heard it. And I thought, that's true. Depending on how you view God's sovereignty and how you view God's goodness and viewing God's love, for the season that we had Tom and Iris, they were the best for us for that season. For the season that we had Ralph and Mighty Melinda, <laughs> they were the best for us for that season. And so when she said the good people are all leaving, she was right. The good people of that season who God had placed in that time, they were leaving. But now we're in another season, and we have good people here still. We have people who are running things, people who are doing things. But if you have your mindset from the past, You know, if you come to church and go, where's Melinda? I wish Tom was here. He was better at this. Whatever. Maybe you don't say it outright, but maybe in your heart you kind of hold that. Just like the Jews that maybe came to the church in Rome wishing, hmm, those Gentile believers, or the Gentile believers saying, why, how can those Jews eat that meat? Offered to idols. What is wrong with them? If you have some of those things in your heart, they really stop you from going on to what God has right now at this time in this place. And I want to encourage you, if you need to let go, let go of that stuff. Again, Paul didn't say, don't talk about these things. He said, dive in and deeply and sincerely and genuinely love one another. So when you look at that verse and says, let your love be sincere, he is pushing them to be together, to be open to get to know each other in a way that previously they had stopped doing. It's no mistake that you're here in this church at this time, just as it was no mistake for the Jewish and the Gentile believers to be together in one church and not make two separate churches. Now, I don't think in this church we have the differences that that church in Rome had, but we do have a variety of people. And like a subway station, you will have people coming and going And you can feel like, I'm just so tired of getting to know new people. But I want to encourage you, if you're here at this time, God has something for you. And he has something for someone else in this room that maybe you don't even know yet, but it will come through you. So look around you. This is where you belong. This is where God has you for this season, however long. It's not a mistake. Believe him that you will be blessed and that he will bless others through you. 
and let him surprise you and amaze you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for putting us together. Um, We can be proud and say we've got people who are from all over the world, from countless different countries. But Lord, we don't want to be just people who are together physically in a room. Lord, we ask that you really would unite our hearts together. We don't have the differences to the extreme level that the, the church in Rome had. But just as you told that church to love one another deeply and sincerely, you tell us to do the same. So, Father God, with the busyness of our lives, with the limits of our own love and our own time and our own resources and strength, show us, each person, in a very practical way, what does it mean to live this out? What does it mean to love each other, honor one another deeply from the heart? We thank you, God, because we know that you love us so deeply and fill us up. That's the only way we can love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.